This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Australian Open Round 4 catch-up. And if Shapovalov stuns Sasha Zverev. Simona Halep succumbs to Elise Cornet in the heat. And Stefano Tsitsipas powers through in five sets. Kim, today is the 24th of January and we are here to catch up on round four of the Australian Open at Passing Shot HQ. We've had an eventful couple of days. We have had some big seeds crash out. We've had lots of drama. We've had coaching violations and quite literally as well, the heat has turned up a notch, I think, in in Melbourne Park, having watched some of the uh, some of it on TV over this morning. It's, it feels like it's quite a it's quite a hot one, isn't it? It is, yeah. Hotting up both on and off the court, Joel. Um, the the weather has definitely, yeah, got getting a bit hot, hot, hot out there. And Simona Halep, amongst <laughs> others, have been finding that a bit troublesome. So it's, uh, yeah, getting to that point where it's it's starting to affect people a lot more. I feel like every player is like, please, please put me on the evening session. Please put me on that night session where it's uh where it's cooler. Because yeah, I feel like it was getting to a point where it was real like struggles for for some of the players yeah and lots of ice and evening matches I think if if I was them in their shoes but um (laughs) I mean I have to say it's we're in the depths of winter over here so the thought of (laughs) hot temperatures and being able to sunbathe and just get that warm sun on your skin does sound quite lovely right now but uh you know I having said that you don't want it to the other complete other end of the spectrum do you <laughs> no no exactly exactly but i mean before we get before we get into the action kim i mean i know you're talking about the heat and we're talking about melbourne park but at the weekend and i'm sure all our listeners are really keen to hear you had a fun run in a park in southwest london so you know lee was on the show in your absence so i feel like it's only right we know how how are you feeling how was the how was the run the run was good. I did absolutely zero training for it, uh, <laughs> but managed to get through. I uh, felt quite strong at the end. And Ooh, okay. yeah, I mean, I, sh- I should really have channeled, you know, all the fantastic tennis players we're always talking about. I should really have channeled their energy and drive and, you know, the hard work. But yeah, I just rocked up after doing absolutely no preparation and I, I got through it. I survived. That's the main thing. I just hope you had the tennis on the radio in your headphones whilst whilst going around so you didn't miss out on too much on too much tennis or a, or at the very least that awful song by Caroline Wozniacki she is she is top of my Spotify <laughs> that is absolutely like my most played oh, song along with all the Eurovision entries from Great Britain over the last 10 years well, talking of Eurovision, we are ramping up into Eurovision season. But um, <laughs> but no, big thanks to Lee uh, for, for stepping in again. Um, much appreciated. He does a fantastic job with tennis on telly. 
Uh, he's a great friend of the friend of the podcast. So thank you very much, Lee. And um, I'm I'm glad to be back though, Joel. And we've got lots of tennis to talk about from the last two days. So, I mean, let's start with today's action. Uh, we had the Sitzpass versus Taylor Fritz match. Fritzipass. Fritzipass. Yeah, that is quite a good. Um, that's quite a good merge on those two names, actually. But um, yeah, this was quite quite a long one, five sets. But Sitzpass came from two sets to one down to get into the quarterfinals. Um, so his fifth Slam quarterfinal now in his career, and I think this is the one he's done very much under the radar. I think you know, having come back from this elbow surgery, not many people talking about him prior to this event. He's just played his way through, and uh, he was very on it today when it came to break points I have to say you know Taylor Fritz had so many chances 15 break points sits past saving 13 of those um and then converting you know 60% of the ones he had on on Taylor Fritz's serve so really came down to just a few points here and there yeah it was really impressive and I think you know from Sissipas's point of view I think experience was a big big factor in this match you know Taylor Fritz had never been to a fourth round before um and at two sets to one up you know he, there's no doubt he was thinking oh this is you know I could go even further here I could potentially reach my first grand slam quarterfinal of my career and I, I do think that the experience factor was one of the main reasons that Sissipas was able to kind of claw it back play those big points really really well and also take his chances at the same time and it was a you know it was a match that I think he you know he needed to understand kind of where his his game is at um you know I actually thought going into it Taylor Fritz had been playing the better tennis over you know in in Melbourne Park he looked I think he was timing the ball better in his his earlier round matches I think he was hitting it cleaner whereas I felt for Sissipas you know it's it's not quite there yet but at the same time I, I sort of think we know that like a an 80 percent Sissipas is still a a very wily kind of competitor on the court um so you know I think it was impressive from him in that sense to come through because I still don't think he's really playing at a hundred percent but you know to take out someone who was playing in you know with the form they had in Taylor Fritz was a uh, yeah very 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 pleasing I think for him and you know to reach his his fifth Grand Slam quarterfinal with you know Sasha Zverev not not getting there yes Daniel Medvedev is still there so is Rafa Nadal but um you know he's still keeping himself up I think in terms of those that consistency that um you know I think these players will want when it comes to Grand Slams and yeah he'll be obviously looking to make further inroads but so I think having this match it going five sets yeah I think I think he'll be quite happy with the way he came through it for me the funny the funny thing to take from this match was um actually on social media Joel uh he had a he had a scheduled tweet go off uh whilst he was playing this is Sitzpass we're talking about um which meant that a lot of people thought he was maybe tweeting from the loo um but just perhaps you know a reason why he likes to have such long toilet breaks but it must have just been a scheduled a scheduled tweet um is that right and I mean I find that a bit odd considering what the tweet actually was <laughs> Why would you schedule that? I know, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it, it it came out of time. I think it came out of time as well. He just literally got a time violation, um, so the coincidence was just like off the charts. And he tweeted, "I mean, this is classic Stefanos Sitsipas, who 
it, my point of view is he he writes a lot of mumbo jumbo on social media. Some people like to call him a philosopher, and sometimes you know I I find some of the things he says quite interesting. But there are other times, and I think it's the majority of the time I'm just like, what what does he mean? And it just sort of goes over my head. And I think this is one of those tweets, Kim, because he said, "This is the Mondayest Monday that ever Mondayed." And yeah, I think it was. I mean, it's, it must have been scheduled because it came out on the dot uh, at 10 a.m. Uh, maybe maybe his team didn't know he was going to get a, a night, you know, a night match. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite awkward, but it did lead to some hilarious interactions about him potentially going off to have a bathroom break to tweet. People were hypothesizing whether his coach is uh, his support team and the crowd were tweeting on his behalf um it was just all a bit very bizarre i feel the tweets also quite weird because that's a sort of tweet that someone who i don't know maybe works in a boring office job you know can't cope with mondays would would tweet not not someone who's you know playing on rod laver arena you know peak nighttime match lives quite an exciting life i don't know it doesn't really vibe with me Maybe that's what he thought of of Taylor Fritz's game, but he was too kind of scared to like tell him in person. So he's just putting the the shade across on on Twitter. I don't know, um, but I mean, just seriously on that on that point, he he did get a time, you know, he did get a time violation on the court. He also got, I think, a point penalty from coaching, and he got a coaching violation as well in the match before. Uh, he obviously came across all innocent and pretended that. Um, you know, for some fans pretended that he didn't, you know, know what was going on. Um, so I'm interested to see how that develops, whether he just kind of continues doing it or tries to again have it go on under the radar. But I think it's something we've come to associate with his game in these sort of these moments that I just don't adhere himself, I think, to fans particularly. I'm sure he doesn't particularly care but yeah at the same time I'm, I'm curious to see you know in his match in his quarterfinal against Yannick Sinner um, whether that is going to be an issue again because you know I just think it's one thing that he just needs to sort so it's not an issue so it's not weighing on his mind I think he needs to he needs to be better at figuring out how to win these matches you know alone on his tennis court I, I don't know if he's too dependent on you know looking towards his his box um which i guess you can understand potentially you know like two sets to one down but um yeah it it feels like he's still got a a bit what bit of a way to go there in terms of getting into a position where he feels confident that you know i'm not going to be driven to bad habits like you know asking my team for advice on the on the sidelines yeah maybe that's where he should like have a break from from his dad or uh, bring someone else in I I don't know maybe he he just needs to change it up a bit but I mean we'll see because Yannick Sinner is his next opponent in that quarterfinal Sinner came through against Dimonor and straight sets pretty regulation uh Sinner seems to have come through the draw pretty nicely and he's still on for the semi-finals which was my prediction Joel um I had him in the semi coming yep, coming yep. through from that part but I mean I think that'll be an interesting matchup with Sitsipas um I kind of feel like it's 50-50 as to, as to what yep. way that would go um previously I would have definitely given Sitsipas more of an edge but I, I think Sinner's again 
not really having too much attention on him. He's just been kind of making his way through the draw. And, you know, he's obviously still only 20 years of age and um, like just proving that, you know, again, I mean, there's two Italians, isn't there, in, into the quarterfinals. We've got Berrettini as well, Sinner. So Italy doing very nicely. Canada doing very nicely as well, because we've also had Felix Auger, Aliasim and Shapovalov both through into the quarters. I mean, what did you make of, I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about, um, let's talk about FAA because he came through against Marin Cilic, four sets. Again, lots of tie breaks. He loves playing, a, he loves playing a tie break, doesn't he, uh, Felix? Two tie breaks uh, in that match. But he's got Medvedev in the next round who came through against Maxime Cressy, also a four set match. That was quite an interesting one, what with Cressy and his serve and volleying. Um, but, you know, I think probably as expected in terms of the result. Um, I, one thing about Medvedev, though, bit of a medical issue perhaps going on. He, he took a medical timeout. Yeah. Looked yeah. like something to do with his hip. I was wondering, you know, does that throw doubts onto his, you know, his being the favourite for this title? Is there some physical issues going on? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, we've got, it's quite, yeah, it's quite interesting you talk about the, the you know, the country aspect because, yeah, we've got Shapovalov and, and Ojalisim from Canada, Berrettini, Sinner from Italy, and we've also got obviously Medvedev, Medvedev Rublev, you know, obviously Rublev's not there, but Medvedev Rublev from Russia. And it, I was wondering, you know, right now it's quite interesting, I think, if you think about the two, you know, which country has the two strongest singles players? I mean, I mean, right, right now, Kim, would you, would you, because before, before the Australian, I would have said Russia, but I feel like right now it's probably Italy or Canada. And I'm probably, Maybe swaying towards Canada. I mean, pre pre Medvedev, uh, Felix Ojaliasim. But um, yeah, it's it's been an. I think it's been a. It's quite, it's been quite nice. I feel like for these pairs that I like to think kind of spur each other on. And I think with Sinner and, and Berrettini, they're you know I think Berrettini's a little bit more experienced. You know, I think he's now one of the youngest players to have reached all four uh, Grand Slam quarterfinals but you know the fact that they're doing it I think <laughs> alongside each other is quite an interesting quite an interesting angle to look at for these quarterfinals. Yeah I guess it kind of spurs them on and we talk about you know from a British perspective having like Norrie mm. and Evans doing well and, and making their way up the rankings at the same time so I think um, yeah it's that camaraderie aspect as well and if you're if you are also like good friends on the tour I think it's just must be really nice to have your mate doing well at the same time and being able to almost celebrate together. I mean, it's, um, I expect despite Medvedev's potential injury, I expect him to come through against FAA. He's, he's never lost to FAA. Um, they played recently at the ATP cup this year, last year's US open semis. So I expect Medvedev to still come through. I, he was getting quite annoyed with with Maxime Cressy uh, today in in his match. Um, you know, just endless serve and volleying from from Cressy coming into the net endlessly. Medvedev shouted out, "Oh, this is so boring!" <laughs> um, but you know, it's Cressy offers a completely different, you know, fresh game style. You know, in this kind of era of of baseline, so it's. Um, He's obviously a very unique player to watch and sticking with his game plan. He believes that that is what's going to help him go up the rankings. It was fascinating to hear that comment out loud, I think, from Medvedev. I think that was one of, for me, one of the first times we've seen that frustration, you know, specifically by a player 
getting under his skin uh, to a point where, yeah, he 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 yells something out audibly, um, and you know, it reminded me that you know Medvedev is the favorite in this Grand Slam, and you know when he won uh, the U.S. Open, he was not the favorite. It was all eyes on on Novak Djokovic and the you know the Joker Slam, um, and I, I I do think I do wonder if you know is he is he is that an example of him cracking or, you know, feeling the pressure of, of being the favorite? Cause again, cause Cressy was a very, I think awkward proposition for him. You know, I think Medvedev is more comfortable with just trading baseline to baseline. And he thinks, you know, more or less, if that is the situation, then I'm going to come out on top. And I think, you know, with, any of his opponents coming up, I, I would look at that, you know, that mentality that he had and that frustration and think about, okay, if he doesn't want to play, you know, he's obviously getting frustrated. If it's not baseline to baseline, then perhaps there's a, an opportunity there for his opponents to, to change it up, maybe even incorporate more serve and volley into their game. It'll be, again, it might be something that, that Felix Ogier Aliasim, who I'm not necessarily saying is a, a natural servant volleyer, but it, it might be something that he, you know, looks to do. Maybe he comes into the net, a, you know, a few more times to, you know, to kill off the point. Um, yeah, it it might be a it, it might be a way of again getting under the skin of of Medvedev, and I think that would be very beneficial. I think to your chances in in order to beat him, because at the moment I do think I do think his tennis is 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 very 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 solid. And you're going to need to make him think differently. And I, you know, I think Cressy was sort of doing that. He made 135 net net approaches in total. And, you know, you can see, I guess you can see why that would, you know, annoy, annoy and frustrate someone. I think also he just played very, very well. He was hitting the lines. Medvedev couldn't really do much about it. Um, And also the, the temperature as well probably was a factor. So yeah, I'll be, I think it'll be, I'd be curious to see if if Ojalisin perhaps changes up his his approach in order to get out more frustration and anger from a, a Daniel Medvedev. Yeah, because I think in the final last year against Djokovic, we saw Medvedev get quite ratty and frustrated, mm. and that's where he, he does sort of self combust a bit um, when he is getting frustrated on the court. So if you can really, you know. Um, jig jig his system up you know and uh, get into his um into his mm. head in that way and um I think you know especially if there is potentially a physical issue plus the pressure of you know now Djokovic isn't there being being kind of the favorite and you know he could be world number one should he win this tournament yeah. so he's yeah. also going pressure there is big not, pressure yeah not just for another slam but to like to be the first player in in a long long time that hasn't been you know the big four to, to be world number one is that more pressure, do you think, than potentially winning your first Australian Open? You know, he's been in the final before. He is the, the top seed. Do you think he'll be immediately focused on, on that challenge? Or do you think he's thinking bigger picture in terms of that, that, world num- that world number one spot, which, again, is something that he, you know, he hasn't achieved? I think it'll be slam first because I don't think too many people have actually been talking about the, mm. the number one ranking. I mean, they probably would obviously prior to the final, but... Um... I mean, I think, you know, we all agree that I think slams are slams are kind of the main goal, aren't they? And he perhaps wouldn't have thought realistically that the world number one ranking was that 
close like immediately but obviously just what with Djokovic being deported it's it's come up sooner than sooner than possible um because he's you know dropping all those points but um yeah I think I think I expect him to come through against Felix I still expect Medvedev to make the final but it may come into to play at the at the very real business end um of of the tournament um I mean let's let's have a look at the the ladies action uh from today as well because many people had Simona Halep as winning this tournament I think you might have put her <laughs> as winning in collector thank Central. you for reminding me Kim yes <laughs> but unfortunately that is not going to happen because Elise Corne uh has made it through to her first Grand Slam quarterfinal by beating Simona Halep in three sets it was six four three six six three I was not expecting this I thought you know Corne's had a great tournament you know, she had been thinking about retiring. This is obviously like her having a bit of a resurgence. But no, she, she's she gone and done it into the quarterfinals. And I mean, she could go further, to be quite honest with you. Um, I mean, Hallett was having a bit of a, a poor day, you know, struggling with the heat. She was trailing a set and 4-1, kind of came back into it, almost um, went a break up in that third set, but wasn't able to convert that break point she had. Cornet kind of put it all together and, and came through in the end. So. Um, I think she's got a really good record against Halep, actually. So perhaps some of the more eagle-eyed amongst us might have seen that as a potential upset. I think she's only lost to Halep once, so obviously likes likes that matchup. Yeah, I think she was a, a set and three-one down. She was one point away from trailing four-one in that second set. But regardless, I mean, it was a it was a match where. I was very, very impressed with Cornet, particularly, I think, in that third set, because I think a lot of people would have expected someone like Simona Halep, who had wrestled control of that second set, you know, had fought back from the brink, had gained the, the initiative and the momentum just to kind of carry that through, you know, and win from, you know, a set down, um, you know, given all of her, you know, given all of her experience, um, you know, at the, the latter end of, of Grand Slam. So from that point of view, it was really, really impressive. Uh, from Elise Cornet. It was interesting how the, I think the heat affected this match um, because I was wondering if, if heat wasn't a factor and this was purely, let's say, a tennis match, then I think a lot of people might say that Simona Halep's chances would have been a lot, you know, a lot better. She's, I would say, she is a better tennis player technically um, in terms of her ability than Elise Cornet. However, if you add the heat into the factor I think it certainly made it more physical and it became at some points I think you know a survival of the fittest and you know in those moments we've heard you know we've heard since from Simona Halep in terms of the fact that she said you know quite plainly she was struggling in the heat she felt sick I think she actually also said that she felt like she was gonna potentially give up um, you know at, at some point so I think actually, you know, in a in a weird sort of way, the heat helped Cornet's cause in terms of potentially bringing Halep's level down to a level that that you know Cornet could could beat. And you know, you spoke about the you know the her head to head, and it is positive for for Cornet. I don't think they had played in the last last few years, but yeah, those those memories as well will have done done her some good as well, and. I mean, it, yeah, it was just it was just amazing. I mean, Cornet's a player I watched. Um, I watched at the Billie Jean King Cup finals. I really enjoyed watching her play. I know she's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but I feel like you've just got to be happy for someone after you know sixty three consecutive Grand Slam appearances and making 
a quarter final for the first time in what might be your final year on tour i feel like you just got to be you just got to be happy for them don't you well i was just wondering what if she goes and goes all the mm. way i mean i remember like as a renker before she won her like two Australian Opens, she said that she had been thinking about retiring. I mean, obviously she would have been extremely young, but, you know, something had made her, I think, talking to her grandmother or something had made her reconsider. And I just think mm. we've, you know, you have these sort of stories, oh, so-and-so was close to retirement. And then they, I, I mean, going and winning the whole thing would be going some, but like stranger things have happened. So I mean, she's playing with so much freedom, I feel. Mm. Um, and it's And it's leading to these, results that I don't think anyone you know was expecting and you can see how emotional you know she was you know, speaking to Yelena Dokic uh on on the court after the match you know she was you know close to tears you know I really like the quote she was talking about you know it's never too late to try again and you know for a player you know who's had who's been on the tour for so many years <laughs> she also was a bit of a fangirl I think for Yelena Dokic back in the day I think she was one match away from playing her in the quarterfinals at the Australian Open I think she had match points it didn't happen she was like really sad about that but you know you try and try again and and look you know look where it can take you and I think you know with someone like Danielle Collins opposite you in a, a quarterfinal it's it's you know that's an op- that's a big opportunity there isn't it to uh to go you know like Taylor Fritz like go even have the opportunity to go even further yes it's great that you've made the quarterfinal for the first time but don't don't stop there see how far you can really go and you know she'll be thinking with with Danielle Collins you know on the other side of the net there's you know I you know why not why not reach my first semi-final as well yeah I mean Collins is more experienced at this level having been to a semi-final here before and I think other quarterfinals as well but I would still say that's probably you know 50 50 um because you know I think they're both sort of prone to being probably quite erratic and fiery and feisty. And I, I think this, you know, we always say with Danielle Collins, like she brings attitude to a court, but so does Cornet. Like, I know, yeah. right? So this should be a very entertaining match. And, you know, Collins came through against um, Elise Mertens in, in three sets again, coming from a set down like she did against Clara Torson. So uh, both battling their way through the draws and both obviously got an absolute golden opportunity to reach you know, either another semi-final or your first semi-final. And Collins also, you know, she's one of three Americans into the quarterfinals. So um, American ladies doing, you know, very, very well at a yes, another slam. Um, I mean, let's also look at the other side of this sort of section of the women's draw because we've got um, Iga Svontek who's made her way through. She had a bit of a fight against Serana Kastair, came from a set down um, to get into the last eight. And I mean, she is like the headline act really in this bottom half of the draw because you know what with Collins and Cornet um in the other quarterfinal you know Svontek's now got not Sabalenka which we thought might be the case but Kaya Kadepi who um beat Sabalenka in a last set super tie break and Kadepi's another great story from from this event you know she's she's down at 115 in the world now she's 36 years of age you know back in the day she she's reached quarterfinals of slams before never at the Australian Open she's now completed the set um, by by making it through here but I mean this is a player that no one wants to play at a grand slam but you know often has a big win and doesn't you know doesn't quite follow it up but um yeah she's she's been able to to put Sabalenka and her double faults to bed uh finally Sabalenka 
I guess ran out of uh, of luck and her double faults just a bit too much as well today. Yeah, it was uh, another yeah another upset victory. Uh, you know, Sabalenka I think will be pretty annoyed. You know, pretty annoyed with herself. I think you know, Kanepi served for it and was I think forty love up. Sabalenka fought back, took it to you know, took it to that final set tiebreak, but you know wasn't able to get it done. Really weirdly, Kim in that tiebreak. Kanepi actually celebrated uh, too early. She thought she had won the match and then realized actually she needed to win one more point at 9 7. Um, I, I was like, well, I was like, I've, what is it about players? I think players just get, I think, I think players just get so in the zone. They, they forget what the score, they just literally forget what the, the score line is. And, um, yeah, I was like, oh God, I hope this isn't like a comedy what happened next moment and Sabalenka comes back and, and wins it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a real kind of roller coaster. And I, I you know, obviously Sabalenka hemorrhaging double faults, not going to help her cause. And, you know, on the other side of the net, Kanepi, such an, such an experienced player and a player who just, you know, you know, she just loves the big occasion. Um, you know, her record, you know, her record against top 10 people in her career Grand Slams, she's won nine, lost ten. In all other tournaments, she's only won five, lost twenty-nine. So she obviously loves playing, you know, on the Grand Slam environment. And I couldn't think of anything, you know, better for her than you know com- completing that set. Um, because there are there are you know there are more famous and more high-profile players, I think, than uh, Kanepi who have not completed that set. I think I was reading today, Caroline Wozniacki for example, who's a, a Grand Slam champion, she has not reached the quarterfinals of all, you know, all four Grand Slams. And, and Kanepi's done that twice at the French, Wimbledon and US. And now she can add 2022 quarterfinalists Australian Open to her name as well. I just need her to get another quarterfinal at the Australian Open because when you look at like her Wikipedia, it's, you know, you want two <laughs> per slam now because it's nice and symmetrical. Um, I think Wozniacki, am I right in thinking it was probably Wimbledon that she never got to the, the quarters that maybe? I feel like she never did particularly well at Wimbledon. I think Kanepi actually beat Wozniacki. I could be wrong on this, but I think Kanepi beat Wozniacki in like a round four at Wimbledon to stop her, um, stop her actually getting to the quarters. So, um so yeah but it's it shows remarkable consistency just across the four grand slams but also remarkable longevity as well i mean she reached her first quarterfinal 2008 at the french open to then get to a quarterfinal in 2022 it's just i mean that's just that's just i mean you just got to <laughs> you just got to applaud that because yeah that shows just tremendous um you know tremendous belief i think and um you know just willpower i think sheer willpower just to kind of play year after year and i think for someone like kanepi who you know hasn't had all that time you know her own way you know being able to get direct entry into the you know the wta tour you know she's had to fight and battle uh you know itf level uh you know the level below the, the wta circuit so you know I've, it's probably given her tremendous belief and, and really i think when she comes to these these slams it, it just fires her up even more and yeah for Sabalenka she will be absolutely I think despondent about you know going out to world number 115 36 years old 
in in the fourth round as the second seed yeah it's not yeah it's it's not a match she should be losing I think she will be pleased though that she made it through to this stage given the awful you know problem mm. she was having yeah. on her serve yeah. which I think her attitude about that kind of improved you know during the tournament she was able to sort of laugh about her serve and I think that's obviously a good kind of attitude to have she wasn't Obviously, you know, you're being harsh on yourself, but you're able to look at it in a sort of more lighthearted way, which just helps you deal with it, I think. But um, so considering what her tournament could have been, she's done really well to kind of get through to the fourth round. And I mean, Kanepi must be an absolute goddess in Estonia because I can't imagine they've got too many sportsmen and women who have. Oh, yes, of course. Okay, well, Contivate must have taken Kanepi's limelight. <laughs> See, yeah, everyone was like, oh, Contivate's going to, you know, do really well yes, here. Yes, I know, right? Like, Actually, no, I'm still around, very much. <laughs> she wants to be top Estonian, yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Kekmanovic getting to the second week yes. instead of Novak Djokovic, uh, still doing it for Serbia. But uh, yeah, I mean, just talking about the, you know, Kanepi Sviontek matchup in the quarterfinals, do you see Sviontek running into problems against Kanepi's you know power game or do you think Sviontek should have that under control oh I think she should have it under control but I can see it going three sets um I think you know Sviontek has improved a lot um especially on Harcourt she was saying you know like since she obviously won Roland Garros um she knew that obviously she had a lot of improvements and learning still to do you know she won that at such a young age and being able to transfer her success on on I guess a clay court over to the hard court she she feels like she's really grown and she's you know said she's able to be more free with her game on a hard court I think she'll have enough I think I think she's gonna do it I think she's gonna make my collector set uh correct and reach the semi-finals yeah you wanted to do that <laughs> I think yeah I think it's yeah it's, I think it's a, a fascinating matchup I think Shiontek's serve needs to be needs to be very good I think if she's if her first serve percentage isn't high enough and it's going to her second serve, I always feel like that's a common weakness of her her game. And yes, she is in, you know she is improving it. She's still very young, but I think Kanepi might be looking at that second serve and being like, I can I can do some real damage here with my you know my heavy hitting from from the baseline. Um, so I think that potentially could be a watch out. But having said that, I think given Fiontech's own fight coming through. Castello, who's a, another very handy, very handy player. I think, yeah, she will, she will be feeling full of confidence going into that match and hopefully making her, yeah, a semi, a semi final berth for her. And let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look back at day seven or Sunday at the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to, well, day seven at the Australian Open, Joel, where we had uh, Denis Shapovalov uh, surprisingly beating Sasha Zverev in straight sets. Um, Mm. For me, you know, the fact that he won isn't really the big surprise. It's the straight sets aspect of it. You know, I think I was expecting Zverev to get through... uh, I didn't think Shapovalov was was sort of being consistent enough. He seemed to have had quite long battles in his opening rounds, you know, dropping sets. But he was really disciplined in this win over Zverev. And, you know, we know he's a flashy player, but it's when he can really channel that um, that he's 
even more kind of dangerous. And, you know, he's now set up a quarterfinal with, with Rafa. So um, what, what did you make of, of him beating Zverev on Sunday? It was, I think, surprising, but at the same time, not surprising because, again, again, I keep talking about he's been playing some very, very good tennis at the start of this season, you know, helping Canada get to the, you know, and win the ATP Cup. He's been playing some very, very good, very, very good tennis. And, you know, it was interesting to hear about you know what he's been working on in the off season. You talk about that, that flashiness, which I think, we you know we see on on tv is it's something that comes naturally to him but at the same time it's something that he needs to i think uh you know change in terms of his his brand of tennis because it's something i think that means that when he is on court when he is in a rallying situation he might like to go for the winner too you know too early on in the rally and he perhaps is a little bit impatient and yeah he was talking about the fact that he's trying to add more patience to his game, waiting for the right moment to, you know, to press and try and win the point. And, you know, you look at kind of the, the statistics at play, you know, Shapovalov and Zverev, um, Shapovalov only won one more point than Zverev in rallies that were naught to four, um, but he outscored him by a combined 15 points in rallies, which were between five and eight shots, as well as nine plus shots, which... Which tells me that he's he's waiting he's waiting more for his opportunity now than perhaps you know last season or you know, a few seasons ago where it felt like he was going for the highlight reel after you know after three shots he was like I'm bored of this rally I'm going to try and hit a single handed backhand down the line um, so I think that's the, that's the the gate that's the thing he's it sounds like he's worked really really hard on you know in the off season and it's paying real dividends for him early on um you know early on in the season at the moment at the ATP Cup and again and in this match against Verev which has ultimately got him a you know a quarter final against Rafa Nadal yeah and i think back to that the semi final he had with Djokovic at Wimbledon, at Wimbledon last year yeah. and you know he had so many opportunities especially in one of the sets to to break Novak and just wasn't able to to kind of capitalize on that and i think this match, you know, called final against Rafa is like his next crack at the dice, you know, facing one of the big three at slam. And, you know, I think he's already learned from his experience getting, you know, to the latter stages of Wimbledon last year. And obviously recent success in the ATP Cup, like you said, um, he started off the year very, very nicely. And I think if he can, um, I mean, if, I just, yeah, I think if he can start well against Rafa and and be up, I, th- I feel like if he was to go say two sets down, um, then he might start to kind of get frustrated and maybe become, you know, maybe his kind of game plan might might sort of lose lose p- his path somewhat. But I think he's going to come in with a a real crack at the dice tomorrow, and I think it's a, yeah, I mean. I I thought Rafa was going to lose to Zverev in the quarters, but I'm now a bit like, oh. <laughs> I don't think he's going to go into that match uh, in like intimidated, like perhaps he might no. have been a few seasons ago. You know, he had. I think you know. He I look at looking Rafa, at their. Though. Yeah, the last exactly. Time I was... They played. He beat Rafa. Well, I mean, I don't know actually. Have they played since then? But the first time they played. Yeah, um, the first time they played, he he won. Cup. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think that was back in in 2017 i think rafa has has won since i think they've had they had a match on clay 
but but they've all been very 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 competitive i think you know one of those i mean he took rafa i think to a final set tie break on a, on a clay court which i think says says a lot um but i think for him it is about yeah like getting over the getting over the line now i think he's competitive in these matches he doesn't let these opponents these legends phase him but he still i think needs that he does need that i think that standout you know that standout victory that is gonna that is gonna that is going to elevate him i think him and felix Ogier aliasim are still looking for that i think they're both still looking for that statement win potentially against a a big three sort of person uh, uh you know at grand slam level um and you know it's you know this is a big opportunity i think for for shapovalov um i mean just just on zverev i mean he still <laughs> we are we are we just uh, like a broken record kim because every time i swear he goes out in a grand slam we just say that you know that statistic of he's still never beaten a top 10 <laughs> he's still never beaten a top 10 player in a grand slam or he still cannot do it against the the best of the best um in you know in the best of five scenario and you know we have moved on from talking about double faults and and starting early in grand slams but it just feels like we're still on this very real problem for him that when he gets to fourth round quarterfinals and he plays someone with a bit of quality he still doesn't really know what to do do about it I think it's going to be really in his head as well. The longer this goes on, the longer he has this, you know, abysmal record at trying to beat a top 10 player at a slam. It's it's probably going to be a big mental block, you know. So perhaps he, um, well, perhaps he should just sort of not look at rankings, not look at whoever's seeded where and just, you know, try not to think, um, you know, is this a top 10 player or not? If someone's like on the borderline, I mean, Shapovalov has been top 10. He's currently 14 in the world. So this would have, almost been if he you know almost a top 10 win but um yeah it's oh, we know he can go deep in slams but like because he has obviously done that that US Open final he came so close but obviously didn't have to beat anyone right at the top <laughs> no. of the rankings to get there oh. so yeah it's it's yeah it's it's obviously deeply I think frustrating for Sasha's Zverev fans and He's obviously going to have to go back to the drawing board, but it feels like the biggest, um, you know, the biggest thing that he's going to need to address. I mean, still address, you know, when it comes next. I mean, there was conversation that he thought he was going into this match against Shapovalov, thinking he was going to win, having that sort of mindset, and almost preparing for Rafa, using the Shapovalov match to prepare for Rafa, which I feel is a bit of a you know, an oversight in the sense of you can't look too, you can't look at these matches too far ahead. You have to prepare the right mindset for the the player you're going to step on court with. Don't you know? Don't think about Rafa until or, or whoever's next, and you know until until you need to. So, I think he, I think he will take that away from him in terms of potentially how he prepares and making sure that he does. He forgets about you know what's on the horizon and focuses on the here and now because. Here and now was Denis Shapovalov in round four, and he was caught cold and lost in lost in straight sets. So, um, yeah, not, I think a pretty disappointing tournament for him. But you know, we'll see him bounce back because he's he's been very very good. I think still on the on the tour, and um, yeah, it's that best of five format that still has still is like the main source of issues. I feel for him. So, what do you think? Here's a potential, you know, 
debate question. What's going to happen first? Is Zverev going to get a top 10 win in the slam or is FAA going to win a singles title? What Ooh. do you think is going to happen first? I think it's got to be it's got to be Felix surely it's sure he's knocking on the door. I wouldn't even be surprised if he does if Oja Aliassim does a Emma Raducanu in his first title is a grand slam title. Um I think my my question to you Kim is can put just on back on Chapovalov and Felix Oja Aliassim who do you see reaching a grand slam final first cuz you know they're both in the quarterfinals. I would have maybe said Felix Oja Aliassim but I feel like I still think Shapovalov for me is playing the more eye-catching, eye-catching tennis, and you know, with that that patience, maybe he could. You know, for me, maybe he gets there. He gets there first. I think Shapovalov. I think um, with Felix, I always feel like there's a, it's a confidence thing. Like, and like we've seen in in the finals, he has played. He's just not able to perform, and I think Shapovalov has brought elite performance to crunch matches and therefore I would give him the edge <laughs> um and obviously he has been deeper at a slam already you know by one round uh once upon a time so I mean I'm surprised though they've scheduled Rafa against Shapovalov in the day session I thought they would schedule that as the night match um but having said that the other match due tomorrow Monfils Berrettini also a very attractive match so I think you know we're kind of very lucky to have these matchups. Let's talk about Rafa. He came through against Manorino in straight sets uh, on Sunday, which, you know, I think pretty much very predictable. That first set, though, my God, uh, the tie break. <laughs> that tie break, longest, I know. Longest tie break, I think, of Rafa's career. He won at 16-14. He had loads of set points. So did Manorino. I mean, it was such a good quality tie break, such a great first set. Um you could see how pumped up Rafa was, you know, celebrating when he finally won that tie break. And, you know, I think obviously that just did Manorino in essentially for the rest of the match. You know, he's put your heart and soul into such a lengthy first set and you think, well, I've got nothing to show for it. So, Kim, I'm going to go out and say that was the Borg McEnroe tie break of round four Australian Opens I've ever I've ever seen. Um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a fan, it was a fantastic way to end the set. It made it just made me fall in love with well, maybe fall. It's just I feel like tie break is such a great way to end the set, and this this perfectly encapsulated it because there was so much drama and. You know, if if Manorino had snatched that first set, maybe you know the the scoreline would have been you know very a lot more interesting. But you felt like he was giving it his all, and it was almost like his his last stand in that in that first set because he sort of fell away afterwards, six two six two in in sets two and three. So yeah, it was a good another good test, I think, for for Rafa. You know, he had that four set win against Kachanov. You had this, you know, tight first set as well. So yeah, very, very, very good. And yeah, we'll see we'll see how he gets on with with Shapovalov. I mean, let's just quickly talk on the other quarterfinal we have. We've got Matteo Berrettini versus Gael Monfils. This is in the top part of the draw, the Novak Djokovic less side of the draw. Um, you know, they came through uh, you know, pretty decent opponents. You know, Monfils came through Kekmanovic in straight sets, uh, Berrettini also won in straight sets against Pablo Carreño Busta, 7-5-7-6-6-4. So they'll be relatively fresh, you think, for potentially having another classic match because they probably played one of the 
one of my favorite Grand Slam matches of, of recent years at the US, back in the US Open, back in 2019, which I think went to a five set tie. It went to a fifth, sorry, a final set tie break in the fifth set. Very entertaining throughout. And I would not be surprised if we had more of the same in their, in their quarterfinal. Do you know what? That is why they've been scheduled as the night match. I completely forgot that they played. It was such an epic match, wasn't it? Yes, you're completely right. Um, yeah, that was that was a real classic. Um, well, so much of a classic, I couldn't remember it. But now you've reminded me it, it was a great match. And gosh, if we could get a similar similar match tomorrow, that would be fantastic. I would not be surprised given the way they are both they are both playing at the moment. This this Gail Monfils is just like a Gail Monfils reborn. And I, I loved in his interview on court after his match against Ketmanovic, he said, I'm not quite finished yet. And <laughs> I feel like Andy Murray should maybe trademark that phrase because at least trademark that phrase on the tennis court, because all these veterans, I feel like all these kind of veteran players who've been around the, the tour for a long time, they're just reminding, you know, Marin Cilic to an extent as well. They're just reminding, they've been reminding play- people and fans this tournament that they've still got this ability, this talent in them, and uh, yeah, for me, Monfils has been almost a, a revelation. I think uh, this start of, this start of the season, but yeah, coming up against Monf- coming up against Berrettini, that is going to be a very, very difficult, very difficult match. Uh, I mean, very difficult match to predict. I think um, it'll be yeah. We'll have to see how Monfils handles the, you know, the big serve and the big, the big, the big forehand of, of Berrettini and potentially get him moving because I think Berrettini is not the greatest mover on the tennis court. We know Monfils is an excellent shot maker, so it might be a question of of whether Monfils can play his shots to make sure that Berrettini is always on the run in the in the rally. I mean, surely this is not a straight set match. Surely mm. it's got to be at least four sets. I mean, Berrettini, he, to his absolute credit, has only lost to Novak Djokovic uh, in slams mm. since this time last year. He had to withdraw from this event um, last year as well with that abdominal injury. So it takes a lot to beat him in a slam. It does. And I feel like Berrettini in four or five sets is where I'm going with this one. Um but Monfils hasn't dropped a set yet. He won the Adelaide title. He is in absolutely cracking form. So it's a tough one to call. I think they're both very tough, actually, the quarters coming mm. up tomorrow to predict. And interestingly, Kim, uh, and I'm going to spring a surprise on you and on our listeners as well. I do have a mini par for the courts for you that is Berrettini based because oh. Berrettini has become the youngest uh, youngest player so far to reach the quarterfinals in the men's at all four Grand Slams. There are nine active players alongside Berrettini who have also reached all four quarterfinals or better at gra- all the Grand Slams. Off the top of your head, can you can you give me some names? Um, active players. Okay, well, Roger Rafa Novak and Andy... Yep. Must be four of them. Yep. Uh, has Stan Wawrinka got to a quarterfinal at Wimbledon? I think he might have just done it once. So I'm going to say Stan Wawrinka. I mean, that's incorrect, but keep going. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know. I, right. You uh, think there are some names. Do you think? Well, yes. Mavrinka, Gail Monfils. Yeah. Gail Monfils. No, Sorry. I thought oh. I thought Gail Monfils as well, but no. Uh, Round I four at say Wimbledon. Some... Oh, I want to say someone like Thomas Burditch, but he's not an active player. So uh, Dominic Team. No, he has not nope. got to the at Wimbledon. 
uh, Rublev. No, 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 no. Nope. What am I saying? What am I saying? Oh, think of older players. Think of older players. So Del yeah, Djokovic. Yeah. So yes, you can have Del Potro. Yes, we're using active in the in the loosest possible sense. I want to say someone kind of unexpected, like John Isner. John Isner. No. 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 Not the French Open. No. Oh, this is really tough. Um, is it an American player? Uh, nope. No. Um, French? French player? Songa. J. Wilfred Songa. J. Wilfred Songa is correct. Sorry, I did I did get too excited. Stan Wawrinka is correct. Sorry, oh. I just double-checked that. Got to a quarter-final at Wimbledon. Um, yes, so Stan Wawrinka is correct. J. Wilfred Songa also correct. Also, it was a bit sad. He's playing a challenger today in France which just made me sad of, of where he's at, at the moment. Yeah, I'll tell you the other the other two that you're missing. I think, is it Fernando Vidasco? It's not Fernando Vidasco. I also thought that. he Kim, hilariously, he has reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open, as we all know. Um, quarterfinals of Wimbledon, quarterfinals of the US. He's reached the fourth round of the French Open seven times. Oh, no. <laughs> right, let's get a campaign this year to give him a wild card and... Open the drawer for him so he can get his quarterfinal at last. So the players I was looking for were, as you said, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka, Joe Wilfred Songa, Matteo Berrettini, Marin Cilic. Oh, yeah. And Kei Nishikuri. Oh, sorry, Nishikori fans and Chilich fans. <laughs> Completely bypassed. Uh, they were the 2016 US Open finalists, I think, weren't they? So um, actually, yeah, Fernando Vadasco, where is he at the moment? Why is he not the Australian Open? We haven't talked about him enough. He's a challenger in Chile. He's actually oh, a challenger good in Chile. Lord. Yeah, he's know, getting ready for I the know, golden right. swing. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to boom in the golden swing. Just you wait. Um, right. Let's get back on to the women's events from yesterday because we had quite a different state of affairs. You know, the matches today, basically, you know, a lot of um, up and down, three setters, you know, quite interesting. Yesterday was a very different kettle of fish, all straight sets matches. And the one that we were most looking forward to, which was Ash Barty against Amanda Anisimova, was not really living up to expectations. You know, it wasn't a patch on Anisimova's match against Osaka. Wasn't a patch really on their semi-final at the French Open a few years ago, which was, you know, quite a up and down battle. Um, you know, Barty coming through as the number one seed in, you know, just shy of a well, about an hour and a quarter, actually, it was very quick in the end. Um, she was very, very uh, consistent. Very Barty, very Barty-like. Very yeah. barty Very Barty-like I mean, performance. She did lose her serve, though, which is absolutely mm. shocking because she had gone 63 <laughs> service games without a break. Yeah, not the favourite anymore, no. Yeah, I think I think I was reading, I mean, I mean, this just shows the level that, that Barty is on. Arguably two or three levels above her nearest competitor she i think has only there have only been two players i think who have broken her serve this season i'm assuming the other one is is coco goff um but yeah I, her, she is just she is just being playing very very smart tennis on her serve on the return of serve as well and it's really hard to see how you know it it this does not lead to ash barty at least in the final, I mean, she's got Jessica Pegula next. Uh, Jessica Pegula's done very well, I think, to to get to the quarterfinals. But 
again at the moment it just feels like mission impossible uh when you're facing ash barty um at a, at a grand slam at the australian open the only thing i can think him is whether the the pressure or the expectation uh gets to her uh i know we we've seen a few weird results with ash barty last season that makes me think yeah maybe that could happen but in just tennis terms if she's able to block that out and just keep it focused on the tennis in tennis terms ash barty should you know should be probably you know winning winning this grand slam you know potentially without you know without dropping a set it's it's been that it's been that commanding yeah i i I would be very surprised if if she doesn't win this title um i mean looking at i think kritikova would be her her trickiest uh Mm -hmm. matchup which would be uh in the semi-final but you know once barty's getting to that final yeah, even Sviontek in the final. I, I just don't really see. I know we've seen those kind of odd matchups, like she lost to Mukova here last year, you know, but she hadn't played for much of the year before, where she's, she has played a lot more last season. Um, and I just feel, I just feel she's in such a good place right now. But maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I mean, do we think Jessica Bugula's got any sort of chance against Ash Barty, or are you going, are you seeing no. that as another straight, straightforward, straight sets job? I mean, Pagula did really well to beat, you know, Zachary in straight set, 7-6-6-3. This is her second straight quarterfinal at the Australian Open. Um, you know, she's having a, a great tournament, but mm. I, and she competes really well. Um, you know, she's going to give everything she's got, obviously, against Barty. But I, I think if Barty was going to show nerves or come unstuck, perhaps it would have been against, you know, Inisimova. If she'd have shown some more fragility in this match, I would have suggested that Pagula had a bit more of an opportunity, but Barty was just yeah impressive and I just feel that yeah she's I think it's going to be straight sets Barty I think it's going to be quite comfortable um yeah but yeah. Pagula's obviously going to go after it and um I would love it to be I'd love it to be a, a great match a, like a, a real I don't I don't want to see Barty stroll to the title you know I want epic matches I want fantastic matchups but I just think she's in such a solid place at the moment it's going to be really hard for whoever whoever she plays well perhaps the more competitive match is that other quarterfinal because we have barbora krachikova versus a resurgent madison keys krachikova uh dominated victoria azarenka i think azarenka was playing her i think she had an injury um winning six three six one um Sorry, Madison Keys won, sorry, 6361 against Bedosa. Krachikova, though, similarly, very easy, 6262 over Azarenka. So, yeah, I mean, that's an, another fascinating matchup. It's going to be, I guess, down to Keys and Krachikova, very consistent. Can Keys' power, you know, how does Krachikova deal with the, the Madison Keys? power game i mean i love the fact that we're talking about madison keys back in 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 the quarterfinals because yeah she is she's just reminding us i think of when she when she has it together she can be one of you know she can be up there as one of the the best in the world um it's it's not happened i don't think that much recently but um you know i think she's got this opportunity against barbara krachikova to to assert that i think identity or reassert that identity even more yeah, and I think I'd, I'd give critique of the edge just because obviously she's won a slam. She knows what it takes to to do that. And Keys has obviously been to, you know, quarterfinals. I think she's been to a, well, she has been to a slam final, hasn't she, against mm. Sloane Stevens, actually. So, yeah. gosh, that was so long ago, I've forgotten. But um, 
I think Kuchikova still for me has the edge. Um, I think she plays, you know, quite a tricky game. And I think that can throw a lot of people off. Um, but having said that, Madison Keys, you know, against Paola Bedosa, like they were both champions, you know, prior to this tournament in the warm-up events. Bedosa seemed to be winning breezily against her opponents. And so the very nature of, of the scoreline from Keys, like it really impressed me. I'm not surprised that she won perhaps. They're both serving really, really well, Keys and Kuchikova. Mm. So I would not be surprised if we get a tight two-set affair. Potentially, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get tie breaks in there. They're both feels like they're both playing very, very consistent tennis. It could go, could go either way. Kim, what do you, what are you thinking, Kuchikova or Keys? Kuchikova in three sets, uh, Arty in two. That's that's my predictions okay. for the women's uh, tomorrow. Um, but again, you know. Yeah, I think it would be great if they could provide a really entertaining match because obviously both of their fourth rounds were quite uh, run-of-the-mill, straightforward events. And and Azarenka struggling with that neck injury, which has put Mm. her out, uh, unfortunately, because she was also playing some really good tennis, you know, prior to, to the last round. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going Madison Keys. I'm going Madison Keys. I'm going Madison Keys in straight sets. I'm going Ash Barty in straight sets as well. So... Yeah, I think I think the keys match will be tighter. Um, but I'm yeah, I've just just I've have a funny feeling about Madison Keys. So uh um yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. Those matches are tomorrow. It is midweek, Kim. Tradition like passing shot tradition dictates we give a collector set update. Um, you know, we had our six players, Nadal, Alcaraz, FAA, Simona Halep, Victoria Azarenka, Igor Fiontek. How is ev- how is everyone doing? And and have I, am I am I bottom? I feel like I maybe am. You're not bottom, actually. Uh, we've had a few people who've got four wrong. Uh, one player's got five of six wrong already. <laughs> um, but we do have two people currently leading with three correct guesses, which is actually myself. Uh, which is surprising. And Marco Hurtado, who was one of our winners from last season. So Marco might potentially be on for another win. Um, but there's still obviously a lot to play for with Nadal, FAA and Sviontek still in the tournament. So all will rest on what they do over the next week. Um, yeah, I'm, this is the best I've ever done. I don't think I've ever got three out of six right before. I was surprised when I saw it this morning. I was like, is that right? Is that right? Is this the the Kim McKenzie that thought uh, Annette Kontovic kind of three seasons ago was going to get to the Australian Open final? I did, didn't I? But <laughs> you know what? That I obviously knew at some point she was going to make it. <laughs> here we go. Head. Here we go. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, for that crystal ball. Um, yeah, and I mean, well, we'll, we'll just see. We'll I'll post uh, an update on Twitter uh, later <laughs> on. But um, everyone left in it with a chance to win. Good luck. Uh, a passing shot special prize is waiting for you if if things go your way over the next week. Um, let's look at what we've got uh, for the quarterfinals from tomorrow. Uh, we have got Kuchikva versus Keys, followed by Shapovalov and Nadal in the day session, and then Barty Pagula and Monfils Berrettini in the night session. So, um, oh, really good. Four, four really good matchups, I think. Really tasty matches. That is extremely risky, I think, putting Monfils Berrettini as the last match on on the night session after Barty Pagula. I mean, I would I would not be I would not be surprised. Um yeah, maybe they're thinking that Barty Pagula match might be quite regulation, might get on a little bit earlier. But uh yeah, I where where are you looking? I think I think I'm I think 
as much as I want to see, I want to see that match, and I probably will be able to because it will be on uh, at a, a nice time for us in in the UK. We've got to be looking at that Shapovalov Nadal match as the the marquee match of the day. Um, I, I would say so, and I will be asleep for it. So <laughs> I'm going to have to um, hope that Rafa does his business. And when I wake up, I have a pleasing result. But I, I my body just can't can't mm. do getting up at 3am to watch tennis matches anymore. I'm, I'm going to have to catch up on it. Um, so, oh, we shall see. Um, Joe Salisbury is in the quarterfinals of the men's doubles uh, with Rajiv Ram as well, as are uh, Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff. So we have got Brits going well in the doubles and Kyrgios and Kokonakis still going as well. Uh, dream team there for the Australians. Um, I imagine the crowds at that that match is, you know, their, their, their doubles matches are very entertaining. Lots of suing as well, perhaps. Oh, no doubt. Still. No doubt. Or is that, is that become, has that become outdated now, suing? Probably not. Still doing that? Are we going to see that? I don't know. I think time will tell. I hope we don't hear it though at the French Open. We we'll ha- we'll hear the uh, the trumpet sounds and the Mexican waves instead. I imagine, but uh, yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this round four catch up. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action in Melbourne Park. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And you can also get in contact with us via email. Uh, we are on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back on Wednesday evening at Passing Shot HQ to discuss quarterfinal action at Melbourne Park. It is hotting up, so I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. 